By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, welcome to Moody's Talks, The Big Picture, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from Moody's analysts across the globe on the key credit and economic issues facing the fixed income markets. I'm Sarah Carlson, a Senior Vice President with Moody's Sovereign Risk Group based in Paris, and I'm your host for this episode. And today we're talking about one of the hot topics on both sides of the Atlantic, which is inflation. And the subject has become an even bigger issue following Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the implications that's had for commodity prices. And I've got two great guests with me today. Atsi Shait, who's a managing director in our credit strategy team. Hey, Sarah. And Nick Hill, a managing director in our financial institutions group. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Atsi. Hey, Nick. Atsi, I'd like to start with you. And let's kick off the discussion by really talking about the issue of the inflationary impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There are a lot of different aspects of this event to discuss, but one of the things I think that particularly concerns us here is inflation. Can you talk us a little bit about what the economic impact of this could be overall and why so many people are worried about inflation? Sure. And I'll preface it by saying, of course, it's the humanitarian impact that's foremost in all our minds today. Uh, but to your question, the economic impact is primarily through inflation um, and particularly commodity price inflation. So if you look at where oil prices were or gas prices were before the invasion of Ukraine, they were already high, but they've shot up even more since then. So that's one commodity that's gone up. Another is certain industrial metals like palladium. Again, prices have shot up. And a third is actually food prices, things like wheat, soybean, corn. And all of these are are commodities that either Russia or Ukraine provide to the rest of the world. And that's why the prices are going up. And again, these are all commodities that feed into consumption. So you, you need food or gas for transport, production, as well as services like transport. So we're going to see these feed into inflation quite broadly. And now, why is inflation perceived as being such a big thing? Even before the invasion of Ukraine, you saw a lot of anxiety about this coming from policymakers, but also from the man on the street. Why is that? One thing I think is that in the two decades before the pandemic, Inflation hovered between one and two percent on average in most advanced economies, maybe hitting a peak of three every once in a while. So that was the range of inflation we'd been seeing for two decades. And then suddenly you have this recovery from the pandemic accompanied by inflation rates like five, six, seven percent in the US and, the, and, and in Europe. And so I think it's that change uh, that made people worry and fret. Now, is inflation bad? Everywhere, or are there actually good and bad kinds of inflation? Aha. In, again, those two decades that I was talking about, most people, policymakers, but even market participants were worried that inflation was too low and people worried more about deflation than high inflation. So indeed, one to two percent was thought to be, you know, not high enough in some cases. What's good inflation? 
Good inflation is when your growth is plugging along and your demand is strong, but your supply is meeting it and you're growing and you're getting a little bit of price pressure, which gives companies profits, which gives, you know, the banks that, that uh, Nick rates a, a margin, etc. So that's good inflation. Bad inflation is when you're not growing, not growing, not producing, and there's demand for goods, but you're not able to meet that demand and prices are going up as a result of that. So you don't have growth, but you have price pressure. That's bad inflation, sometimes called stagflation. Now, central banks have often targeted 2% inflation. Is there something magic about that 2% rate? Or is it so bad if inflation is still in the low single digits, but is more like 3 or 4%? Central banks never do anything by magic. They're very data-driven, very rational. And indeed, but there is a 2% number that many of them target. And I think that has to do with the growth context. If you're thinking about your real GDP growth at around 3% during your cycle, 2% seems like a reasonable level of inflation to target. Could 3 to 4% inflation be a terrible thing? Not if you're growing at 4 to 5%. Then 3 to 4% of inflation is, is not a bad thing because your supply demand is chugging along. But if you're growing at 1% and inflation is at 3 to 4%, that's telling me that your demand is okay, but your supply is very weak and, and you're not even able to meet that weak demand of 1% growth. So that would be bad inflation. Now, Nick, I'd like to turn to you because we've been talking about the impact of inflation for the overall economy and the banking sector is always very impacted by the macroeconomic environment. What does it mean for the banks that inflation is higher now than what we're used to? I did, I confess, feel a bit old listening to you. I, I do remember when inflation and interest rates were in double digits. But yeah, looking back, that was indeed three decades ago now. So that was a difficult environment and very different from the one we're looking at today. So this kind of return to modest inflation is something which actually is quite welcome, really, for banks. It's basically good for bank creditors. There are pluses and minuses, as ever, and we can come back to that. But basically, high inflation leads to an expectation of higher interest rates. Banks sit on lots of investments, securities, and other investments. And when interest rates rise, that gives a high yield, which feeds through into higher earnings. So have banks been having a hard time because inflation has been low for a couple of decades? Listening to you, it makes me think they may have fed. They have. They have indeed. So over time, with low inflation and low interest rates, sub-zero interest rates, remember, in the eurozone, banks have been seeing their net interest margins come under pressure. So that will reverse to some extent given the change in interest rate expectations that we've seen in recent months, notwithstanding some of the changes in the last week or so. Now, Ati, do you think that we're now in a world where inflation is just going to be higher than what we'd become used to over the last couple of decades? Or do we think that it's naturally going to come down? naturally going to come down would be the answer. And in fact, we've been watching the data really closely. And we have been seeing that some of the supply chain issues that were driving up inflation uh, were actually abating to different degrees in different sectors. So we were already seeing that come off. What's happened now is that the supply chain issue is not yet resolved, and we've got now a commodity price spike. So I think that will perhaps push inflation up further for the time being. But we still believe that the kind of demand surge you saw last year is not going to be repeated. 
That was one reason inflation was high. And second, the kind of supply chain disruptions that you saw last year are again going to be resolved. So if you take both those together, by the second half of this year, you should see inflation coming off its current highs, unless something else unexpected happens, of course. Now, what would make you change your view and think that actually these higher prices are more of a permanent feature of the economy? Yeah, you know, so far, Sarah, the drivers of inflation have been goods. So it's been manufactured goods, it's been commodities, etc. What we know is that goods demand has been high and now it's going to abate because once you've bought your washing machine, you're not going to buy another one this year. Services demand, however, has been pent up. And as economies start opening up, that could go up. And you could see services price inflation, your hotels, your restaurants, you know, things like that go up. So that's one area where if that replaces goods price inflation, maybe you'll see inflation running longer. And the second, importantly, services depend on people. So wage inflation, if you saw the people sort of started having this idea that, you know, prices are going up, my wages need to go up to keep up. Companies give you wage increases, that could lead into a wage price spiral and you could see inflation staying higher. And it's that that's important for banks, by the way. They obviously don't consume a lot of commodities and goods directly. Most of their cost base is composed of personnel expense, so wages and uh, related expenses. So if wage inflation really picks up, that will be a negative for banks. We don't see a lot of that right now because they're actually restructuring their cost bases, reducing their branch network. So there are some favorable trends really masking that wage inflation. But in some parts of the world, like Central and Eastern Europe, where inflation is higher, we're seeing personnel costs pick up at 7 8% per year. So it's much faster in some parts of the region. Well, it's interesting that you say that, Nick, because I mean, one of the things that I see in the countries in Western Europe that I follow is that Something that's a big difference from what we saw a couple of decades ago when inflation was a hot topic then is that there's no longer the kind of automatic link between inflation and wages that there used to be. So maybe that gives Atsi some reason for hope that we won't see that wage price spiral in Europe. Nick, I want to come back to something that you talked about a minute or two ago which is that there can be positives and negatives to these kinds of trends. You've talked about the positive ways in which the banks can be helped through higher interest rates. What are some of the negative aspects of this question, like the risks for banks if we were to see persistently high inflation? There are negatives like wage inflation that we already touched upon. I think the risk of persistently high inflation is that interest rates rise more sharply and really start to constrain economic growth, which starts to put pressure on credit quality. And that can be a problem. If you actually think back, again, quite a long time now to the early 80s in the US, when the Fed raised rates sharply to try to tame the inflation at the end of the 70s, early 80s, what followed was a lot of failures of small savings and loans institutions in the US. So it's the sharp spikes that really cause the issues. So Atiyah, is the main risk here about abrupt changes in interest rates, or are there other people or companies who are particularly affected by inflation that give rise to the concerns that you've been talking about? 
I would say financial risk, which is what Nick referred to, is definitely one key aspect, but there are social risks associated with inflation because it is households, all of us bear the brunt of inflation, but lower income households suffer disproportionately more because every percentage change in inflation eats into their purchasing power much more than it does for a higher income household. So that's one. And then the second would be some segments of business where their input costs are going up but they don't have the market share or the pricing power to pass those on to their consumers, so their margins decline. So you could see inflation sort of eroding margins in some segments. I'd say those would be the two other key risks. And then they feed into what Nick says. That feeds into lower growth, ultimately. Yeah, I mean, if I might add to that, it's it's all about the relationship between growth and inflation and interest rates. So again, inflation can be good in modest amounts, if wages keep up for credit quality, because if you're a borrower, then your debts are going to get naturally eroded by inflation. As long as your wages keep up, that's good. But if, if inflation out starts to outstrip your wages, then you're going to get worse off in real terms and debt service becomes more difficult. Now, it's interesting what Nick just said, because when I think about entities that have a lot of debt, the first thing I think of and it's not just because I'm a rating analyst that deals with them, is, of course, governments. I'd say, is there a natural connection between high government debt and higher inflation? Is it really possible or realistic to think that governments could just try to erode their debt burdens through higher inflation? And thinking about where those debt burdens came from, what kind of impact does the kind of stimulus or higher government spending that we saw during the pandemic play? Good question, Sarah. And, you know, to the first part, I'd say similar to Nick, that eroding your debt by higher inflation works only until it doesn't lead to higher interest rates, which then add to your debt servicing costs. So you have to calibrate that very carefully. And that goes back to our previous conversation about the 3% inflation versus 5, 6, 7% inflation. Then your second part, did government policies themselves, which led to the higher debt, actually also fuel inflation? And just taking the recent past, the post-pandemic policies, in some ways, yes, governments provided stimulus. They put money directly in the pockets of households and small businesses. And that did lead to sort of an acceleration of demand without a compensating acceleration in supply. And so, yes, that did fuel inflation. But this was deliberate. They were doing this at a time when inflation was really, really low and there was a risk of you know, recession and deflation. That era is behind us. Governments have withdrawn their fiscal stimulus. They're not extending it anymore. The economy is self-sustaining. So I don't think that fiscal stimulus will be a risk to inflation going forward. So question to you both, really. Are we seeing differences in the way that the US and Europe are approaching this problem? I hear a lot more talk from the Fed than I have from the ECB? You know, yes, we are expecting that the US will raise rates faster than the ECB. And there's a reason for it. The US growth actually accelerated quicker and sooner than it did in Europe. So that's one reason. Inflationary pressures are taking hold in the US, particularly the wage inflation that we talked about. So that's one reason I think that's driving the Fed to normalize policy from still very low rates, by the way faster than the ECB. Actually, I'm interested, Nick, in what you're seeing in terms of the banks and profitability or other trends for banks in US versus Europe. Yeah. So it follows really the sequencing of rate rises and expectations for that. 
So we think US banks are going to benefit first, then UK banks, where there's also already been an increase, and European or Euro area banks will come later. But they all should benefit at some point from rising net interest margins. And banks are signaling that in their year-end results presentations that a lot of them are pointing to material increases in net interest margins because of rising rates. Now, how likely is it that we could see some of these trends basically crossing the Atlantic from the US to Europe? I mean, it certainly used to be that some of the economic trends you would see in the US eventually, a few months later, start to materialize in Europe as well. Do we think that that's a risk this time around too? In terms of growth, the amplitude of growth in the U.S. has been slightly higher than Europe. But yes, I think you're right that the recovery in the U.S. started earlier, but Europe is catching up. You're seeing very good growth numbers. And in fact, though, on the inflation side, you're also seeing rising and accelerating inflation. In fact, the most recent data, I think, tells that story as well. So to some degree, there are similar stories of recovery as well as inflation on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, I think probably the risk in the euro area is that the ECB is more tolerant of rising inflation than perhaps the US and the UK are. And that would be less good for those banks because they would just have less benefit on the net interest margin side, but they would still start to see wage pressure. So again, the overall picture is still net positive, but just less positive or later than it is perhaps the other side of the Atlantic. Now, Ati, how easy would it be for the ECB, for example, to behave in a very different way from the Fed? Could that have different implications for inflation trends or growth or anything else? By that, it would mean the Fed would tighten, say, and the ECB would remain patient for a while. Um, and I think that could happen, especially if for some reason that the, you know, the growth and the inflation trends that we'd seen, uh, very recently that were robust, the current crisis in Russia and Ukraine leads to some sort of break on growth. So that would be one reason that the ECB would follow a different path. The other thing that could happen could be that, you know, the energy price, uh, fueled inflation in Europe could go even faster or more rapid. And then that might lead to the ECB actually catching up or even in, in sort of moving further ahead. But that seems like a more remote possibility at this time, quite frankly. Now, are you concerned at all that rising interest rates are basically going to kill the recovery? You talked about potentially higher energy prices spurring higher interest rates. Is that something which could then cause a premature end? to the economic recovery that Europe's experiencing, say? I think, you know, most economists who do believe that inflation will abate by the sort of second half of this year are in the camp that worry that a too rapid pace of monetary policy increases could kill the recovery very early. There are others who feel like inflation is the real threat to the recovery, and they do want inflation expectations controlled. So it really depends what camp you're in. We happen to be in the first camp. We do think inflation is going to fall off. And the risk is that central banks tighten too much. Having said that, Central banks have been doing this for a long time. They have a lot of data at their disposal and they have a lot of tools at their disposal. So it's particularly advanced economy central banks are able to calibrate, move forward, move back, depending on how the situation evolves. Nick, I mean, I want to go back to something that Atsi said a little while ago, which is that interest rates are still really low. And even if they go up, they're still going up from quite a low base. Does that make you worry about? bit less 
about debt repayment risks in the economy? Yes, it absolutely does. The absolute level of rates is still important. And as you say, they are still low. So as long as we have this kind of gradualist approach to rising rates, we'd see it as basically net positive still, because the transition is relatively gentle. Corporates and households should still be able to keep servicing their debt without any particular issues. Again, the risk is really that something very abrupt happens, a shock, and that suddenly corporates or households have a kind of wall of repayments or a sharp hike in their mortgage repayments or other debt service costs. And that's what leads to credit problems. So, Watsi, what do we think is going to happen with interest rates? We've been talking about all of the impacts, but let's get down to probably one of the bottom line questions a lot of listeners have, which is, what do we think is going to happen with interest rate increases over the next couple of years? We think the Fed will raise rates three to four times this year and maybe another four times next year, but again, from very low rates. The current crisis in Russia and Ukraine does not change our mind particularly, especially because the crisis is actually driving inflation up. So we're sticking to that view. But of course, it depends on how growth pans out. With the ECB, we thought that they would not start raising rates until next year. That's our baseline. But we are watching inflation data in Europe carefully. And we do think that if inflation does start accelerating, the ECB might actually start its rate hike sooner, as soon as this year. Well. Time will tell. But thank you both for a fascinating discussion. And we're going to close this podcast the way that we close all of them, which is with a lightning round. And my question for you both is what is an aspect of this question about inflation and interest rates that we've been talking about that you think is maybe underappreciated by the market or by listeners or something you think that hasn't had enough attention? Nick, I'm going to start with you. All right. So I'm going to say, watch the balance sheet because nothing happens in isolation. When one thing changes, other things change. In the US, we've seen deposits increase by about 50%. Consumer deposits have gone up by 50% in three years. That's a huge increase. So if that starts to reverse, you could see a lot of that liquidity being sucked out the banking system. So the whole balance sheet structure might change actually quite significantly. Interesting. see. The world is aging in a way it hasn't in the past. We're just seeing a larger and larger number of people who are 60 plus in the world than we ever have. This has implications for labor markets because they will eventually drop out of the labor force. And that has implications for inflation. Also has implications for savings rate. These people have been saving for the last several decades, driving the cost of capital down. They're going to start spending that money that they saved. That might have implications with cost of capital. So I think we're going to be paying a lot more attention to how demographics affect inflation and interest rates on the upside, just as we were on the downside some years ago. Well, I think we need to leave it there for today. But of course, this question of higher inflation is something that's preoccupying many of my analyst colleagues at Moody's. And if you want to learn more about how the current inflation environment has an impact on corporate sectors around the world, please check out the latest episode of our sister podcast, Moody's Talks Behind the Bonds. And don't forget to follow our show and other Moody's podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. But until next time, I'm Sarah Carlson, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture. 